You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Welcome. It's episode 54 of Grow Yourself Up. And today, in today's episode, I wanted to talk to you about resourcing yourself and ways to support yourself, particularly if therapy feels out of reach for whatever reason at the moment. So I get lots of messages from people asking about how to find a therapist and what to look for in a therapist. And I'm going to talk a bit about that. And I also want to talk about um, not alternatives to therapy, but other things that you can do to support yourself. So to be really clear, I'm a psychotherapist and I'm a massive proponent of therapy or massive fan because, um, mainly because we, so there's a, um, like a famous saying, I can't remember who says this, but we're wounded in relationship. So we, we're wounded in our family of origin in a, um, in, in relationships. So, we we need to heal in relationship. So like really listen to that. We are wounded in relationship and we heal in relationship. And Stephen Porges says something that he says, which is safety is the treatment. But actually we need to experience safety with another person. That's the really healing bit. Because for many of us, uh, experiences that should have been nurturing, loving and supportive in our family of origin with our primary caregivers, our parents, were not. And so we learned damaging stories about ourselves based on these um, relationships which were lacking, like lacking in terms of what we needed as children. And so to be able to learn that we are lovable, that we are whole, that we are wonderful just the way we are, we need to have that reflected back to us in relationship with someone else, essentially. And so therapy is a brilliant place for that to be explored and for new, for us to create new neural pathways and to create new understandings of ourselves. It's very difficult to do this type of work alone. And so I, I guess I would always urge you to try and have therapy. And there are times when it's not possible. You know, when, um, in, in early motherhood, for example, sometimes it's really beyond our capacity to engage in therapy because we're so exhausted and, 
Um, if it's an unfamiliar process to us, it might be too hard for us. Um, we may really be needing some practical support at that point. Sometimes we can't afford it. Sometimes we don't have willingness, you know, so you, it's, um, sometimes I get clients who want to send like their partner or their child to therapy, but really we can only be going to therapy when we are actually ready ourselves. And so, you know, wherever you are on your journey, you might not be ready for therapy. Maybe you're having a bit of a break from therapy. So I want to talk about some resourcing ideas to help you support yourself wherever you are with your therapy journey, because certainly, um, you know, therapy is not the only way people change. And um, I think it's important to talk about other sort of avenues of support. So, yeah, so I'm excited to share this with you. Um, I'm going to start off by talking about different types of group settings and meetings. So um, in in parenthood, actually, it can be very helpful to find a, a, a mother's group or a father's group or a parent's group to share about your experiences because the experience of being in a group, a group that is safe, means that we often hear um, other people's stories re- uh, reflected. And so we hear ourselves in those stories and we think, oh, okay, um, if they manage that, then I can manage that too. And we learn about how other people manage things. And particularly in-person groups where we're all sitting in a circle or we're always sitting in a kind of however the chairs are arranged, where there is, where there's strict boundaries. And so there's really a sense of containment and relational safety. That's very regulating. All our limbic systems come into regulation. And if you've ever been to a meeting like this, you'll notice um, that provided those conditions of safety are met, you come out of that meeting in a much calmer, more resourced, uh, more hopeful place, more hopeful. Yeah, you, know, you feel much more hopeful. And so I think that those type of things are really invaluable because being held by the power of the group is really nourishing and helpful. Um, I'm a big fan of 12-step meetings. So 12-step is a um, is a you, you probably have heard it in the context of Alcoholics Anonymous. It started off with AA um, as a way to help um, people who who to heavy drinkers or alcoholics, whatever label you want to use, to stop drinking. And there's many many more than just AA. So there's different fellowships for different things. Um, for for you who are listening, I think that uh, meetings like so Al Anon is a very helpful one. That is for um, families or partners of alcoholics. CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous, is really really helpful. Um, I've had a long journey myself in CODA and found that extremely helpful. I've also spent time in Al-Anon. Um, ACOA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholic and Dysfunctional Families, is really, really very helpful. Um, there's lots of different fellowships for eating disorders. In, in the UK, it's mostly called um, Overeaters Anonymous, even though it includes um, bulimia, anorexia, all different combinations of eating disorders. There's also um, fellowships which address uh, dating and shopping. So in the US, there's a bigger variety of fellowships. And I don't know right across the world the different um, availability of meetings, but I know that in the US there's Shoppers Anonymous but or Shopping Anonymous. But in the UK, there's only Debtors Anonymous. So when I had a shopping addiction um, and I had a big debt, £27,000, I went to Debtors Anonymous and the level of support that you can get 
in these fellowships is really quite phenomenal. I remember, um, and I, this makes me feel kind of emotional. It's there, there's such love and care and support, um, in a very boundaryed way, but, um, there's, there's a tool that they use in debt is anonymous, um, called a PRG. I can't remember what it stands for. Maybe like a progress something group or something. And basically what you do is you keep a record of your spending, which you do by writing it down, like in relentless amounts of detail, like everything, if you spend money on a coffee or like a newspaper or whatever. And then you sit with two other members of the group and you go through your spending and you see how you can start to shift and make changes. And particularly in recovery around dating, which by the way, money is a huge area where we, we often act out our stuff if we've had childhood issues. Um, because, and it's linked to kind of not feeling good enough because often we overspend to try and make ourselves feel better or we're very deprivational in terms of where we treat ourselves with money and we don't buy anything for ourselves. And it's extremely complex how this is kind of plays out. But, um, in this, in this particular fellowship, the there's it's very shame busting because it there's so much shame around our relationship with money and often a sense of I'm the only one and I want to like tell you you are not the only one um and and there are other ways that you can support yourself with this it's just that this is a basically it's free because when you go to a meeting you contribute to the room rental and to the running of the group so maybe if there's teas and coffees or um paying for literature but it's 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 amazing the level of support and the love that you can get in those rooms. So that can be very healing. It can also be very difficult um, if you feel shame in a group or if you feel very shy. And um, in those cases, just go and listen. You don't have to speak. You can just go and listen. They actually say in most 12-step meetings, they first of all, they say, take what you like and leave the rest. And secondly, they always say, try six meetings to see what's for you, because you may go to one meeting, which is not very boundaried and you feel kind of a little bit unsafe. And then you just try another meeting and, um, and maybe that fits you better. Um, but yeah, so I guess with, with DA, um, there is often so much shame and denial around the way we, we kind of, um, abandon ourselves. Um, in this case, I was overspending a lot, um, that we, we kind of can't even look at it. It's too painful. So we avoid looking at it and then the situation gets worse. And, um, I found that support in that fellowship really helpful personally. And there's lots of, there's fellowships for, um, sex and love addiction, um, I'm not sure if I really necessarily agree with the addiction part around sex and love. I think it's more about um, not getting our needs met and we set up for certain behavior patterns. But again, you have to take what you like and leave the rest. And um, there's just, if you, if you don't, if you don't have, if you can't have therapy at any, at a point, this might be a way that you can kind of get yourself some support. Um, and there are also other types of groups. Um, you know, if you, if you have a problem with drinking, there's a lot of groups that have sprung up, um, to, to support, um, you in, in the, in the endeavor of giving up drinking. Ones that have got online support, um, other group check-ins. And I think anything with a group, um, element is helpful. Um, okay. Another thing that I think can be really, really helpful is different types of body work. Um, because, you know, some of our trauma, particularly developmental trauma is pre-verbal and we don't have a story to go with it. 
and we just have patterns lodged in our bodies which um, lead to certain behaviors and um there's a huge variety of body work and it massively differs by country and it also differs the training massively differs how to what extent your practitioner is trauma informed will massively differ and um also the the kind of interdisciplinary or um kind of cross modalities um people that really vary. So i.e. if you've got a craniosacral therapist who's also trauma-informed and maybe is also a somatic experiencing practitioner and has done um, some like OT training or sensory training, um, that's kind of an amazing combination. And then some people are just dealing with chronic pain and they don't initially have an understanding of the way that it's linked to childhood stuff or they may not be trauma-informed. So when you're going for some sort of therapy, you really have to get a practitioner who you feel comfortable with and who you feel has got the right skills and is operating within their scope of practice. So I personally have found biodynamic craniosacral therapy exceptionally helpful. Um, osteopathy has been extremely helpful. I found an, a, what she calls herself a structural osteopath, and she deals with mechanical issues in your body related to mental health stuff or mental health patterns. Um, and she's really helped me unwind some things in my body. Um, Qigong can be really helpful. There's, there's many um, body practices, and I don't know them all. And um, different countries also specialize in different things, but things like rolfing, and um Feldenkrais or Feldenkrais, um all of those can be really helpful. You really have to find something that works for you and going in to a, a healing journey via one of these practices um can be really supportive, especially if you don't have capacity for kind of talking or um you know, looking at your story. This can be a really lovely way to build more resilience and to take on board more regulation. Um, with a with a body practitioner, particularly if they're trauma informed, and they can kind of provide adequate holding in the sessions. Um, I think supportive and boundaried membership groups can be really helpful. So you know, there's many of these that are offered by different practitioners um, via the internet. Um, some are in person, but groups where you might write together, or you may share different experiences, or there's a kind of a very um, structured. A program throughout the year and then you come together as a group and you maybe do um, seasonal work or um, you know you look at different aspects of recovery and, and it might not be labeled like that but um, those can also be very therapeutic and helpful in terms of helping us um, like just providing scaffolding and support in our lives. Some people find um, organized church very helpful um, so if if you have a kind of a church community which feels helpful for you, provided it's not promoting any abandonment of yourself, that can be really helpful. Um, loving and supportive relationships are absolutely vital and can't be um, overestimated in terms of the healing that they provide. Because remember that Stephen Porges thing, safety is the treatment. Safety in a friendship or a loving relationship or a peer relationship or a mentorship um can really help you with your own healing process because you begin to see yourself through the eyes of the other. And if the other delights and adores you in a way that is um, you know, boundaried and helpful, you begin to shift your perspective of yourself and to think, wow, 
I'm not so bad, you know, and to take on board new pictures of yourself. So look for, you know, loving and, and nurturing relationships that can be with friends. Um, I would suggest that this might be too much, you know, our adult love relationships are a wonderful place for this in some ways, but our partners cannot be our therapists. And that's a little bit much pressure to put on our adult love relationships, I would suggest. Um, I think pets can be extremely helpful on a help on a healing journey for many of us. Um, particularly if we've got a complex trauma backgrounds background, relationships are very challenging. So some of the key aspects when we've got complex trauma that we struggle mainly with emotional regulation, with having a very active critic and in our interpersonal relationships. And so if we struggle in relationships and we have an active critic, it can be really difficult to hold our sense of self, especially if we're trying to make new friends and things like that. It can be just sort of scary, frankly. And um, if we carry around that feeling of we're not being good enough, that's that's a difficult thing to carry into relationships. And pets, specifically um, cats and dogs, so mammals, which also have a limbic system, can be um, so loving and wonderful. And there's, the, there's beautiful brain science behind that, which is that um, they also have an attachment system, specifically cats and dogs, because they have a limbic system, um, just like us with our brain. Uh, they don't have, obviously, as complicated a brain as we do, but they need us to regulate them and they become attached to us and we become very attached to our pets and they help us regulate. So you know that... Um, um, we don't actually have pets in my house, but my kids would love dogs. And you always see those, um, you see pets outside shops, like eagerly looking, if they're tied up outside, eagerly looking for their owners. And sometimes on TV ads, you see like, um, like the dog looking out the window. And I mean, I'm, I'm smiling and laughing as I say this because it's so joyful when they know that their owner is coming home. They're like so excited. And, and that's because this is a person who regulates them. So if you have loving relationships with your pets, that's really wonderful. And if you need more regulation, you may consider giving yourself a pet. Um, because that's really a place to practice in a way to practice, um, seeing, like noticing that you're loved unconditionally and to love your pet as well, um, because they are, um, needing you as well to regulate. So that, that can be a really lovely healing relationship. Um, and, and very supportive. There's something else about, um, in the book burnout, um, they talk a lot about, so that's by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And, um, in burnout, they talk about how we need to complete stress cycles. And I think that doing that is really helpful on our own healing journeys. And so building in things to your days that help with completing your stress cycles, which is essentially a different language for widening your window of tolerance. Um, creativity really completes the stress cycle. So building into your life joyful, creative pursuits is really resourcing. So that might mean that you do cooking. Gardening is a really wonderful thing. Um, we have a, a small garden in London, but um, I've recently bought a whole lot of like plants from the nursery and I've planted them in some like raised beds and a few pots at the front of our house. And they're giving me so much joy. I love color. Color is a huge resource for me. And I'm watering the plants and just kind of watching them grow it's been very sunny in the UK, so it's, it's like it looks like a jungle now. These plants, um, and that's so joyful. And and gardening, I think, is a very very healing pursuit. Being 
in the earth with our hands, um, noticing how seasonal nature is and how, you know, particularly when we have tended to overwork, we and and kind of drive and drive and drive ourselves, we may expect to be in sort of spring and summer our whole lives. So that period where we're sort of growing and bursting and and producing beautiful flowers. And by spending a lot of time in nature, you learn that actually that's rubbish. You can't be in summer and spring all of the time. You know, you naturally have to go into periods of kind of um, more hibernation. Um, and it can be really helpful to see that modeled in nature. And if you're in touch with your, with your, um, your garden, even if it's one pot plant, um, you'll really kind of notice that. So that can be a really lovely pursuit. Other, um, things like creating art, um, music, cooking, singing, writing, all of those. Notice what you like and see how you can build in, um, uh, practices around that. Journaling is brilliant. So we can say that that's a creative pursuit to um, complete the stress cycle. Journaling, um, you know, you can do that every morning. Um, you can do it every night, you know, to really give yourself six or seven minutes a day to do some journaling. This podcast actually has journal prompts that go with it. I'm a little bit behind in sending them out though, but I will be catching that up soon. But subscribe to those um, and that'll help you deepen into your own process around each of the different topics of the episodes. Um, this podcast is actually a resource as I was, as I was thinking. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a resource for you as well. You know, if you do the, um, the journaling prompts, um, do it with some friends, um, and, and listening each week and kind of noticing how what I'm saying impacts you. That'll help you deepen into your own story. And that is also an entryway into therapy. Um, other ways to complete the stress cycle are exercise, crying, humor, um, being in connection with people. And I'm sure that there's lots of other things as well. Um, I'm, I might make another one in these episodes because, um, this might be getting a bit long now, but, I guess what I'd say is I would always suggest that um, if you have childhood or developmental trauma or any issues that you're facing that are blocking you from living the life you want to, go to therapy um, and see how that suits you. And it is also really useful to do some of these things alongside it or um, instead of for a moment um, or for a while. Um, okay, I'm sending you so much love. Take good care. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Listener.